was very awkward. But um, we'll just read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, and reading from the first verse of the chapter. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a coat with her, loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and the colt of the ass, or the colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we turn to thee in our Saviour's name afresh today. Lord, we thank thee for the way that our Saviour was greeted as he entered into Jerusalem Lord, we thank Thee that he set his face as a flint to go into Jerusalem. We know that he knew his destiny. We knew what would befall him. And yet, Lord, we thank Thee that he went through with all of that in our room and in our stead. We thank Thee for what our Savior accomplished there on the cross of Calvary. And we pray that even as we contemplate the scene today, O God, that Thou wouldst write Thy word upon every heart, and draw us nigh to thee, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Well, as we said before, today is Palm Sunday, and it is the time when the church traditionally focuses on the triumphal entry of our Savior into the city of Jerusalem. A few weeks ago in the prayer meeting, we dealt with it in um, a little bit more depth. But what I want to do today is just pick out some things. I want to pick out uh, something here about the colt and about the crowd and about the cry. But before we come to that, there are just three things in the scene here, three things about the scene that is recorded that we should pick up that sort of underlines the importance of these events. And the first thing that I want you to pick up is that what is spoken of here, the triumphal entry, the Palm Sunday, if you want to call it, um, is that it is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Every one of the Gospels record the scene of the Lord Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Now, you'll know that some of the Gospels record some things and some others. Uh, there are not many things, really, 
uh, that are recorded by all four of them. Indeed, some uh, events are only recorded by one of the Gospels. And John tells us that there were many other things that were never recorded. There were things about the healings and the uh, sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ that we don't have recorded for us. But what I want you to see is that obviously the fact that the four Gospels record these things indicate and underline the importance of these events. And then the second thing that I want you to see is that the the way the uh, fulfillment of the prophecies is underlined here. We find that the Lord chose to enter into Jerusalem riding on the coat of an ass, and that fulfills the prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the fool of an ass. That was a prophecy made 500 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we were singing Psalm 118, and in uh, Psalm 118, we have the shout of Hosanna, or Hosianna in the Hebrew. They shouted Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And that is uh, from Psalm 118. And we think of the way that these things are so carefully fulfilled. The church father, Justin Martyr, wrote to a man named Trifo, and he speaks and points out the way that the precise terms of the prophecy were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did in entering into Jerusalem. And he underlines that fact, and there's a strong appeal that he makes to the fulfillment of prophecy. So there's something that underlines the importance of what is, the way that it very carefully tells us that prophecy is fulfilled. And then the third thing that is a detail in the story is the fact that uh, there is so precise a telling of the story. You, you find, for example, you get details like the tying of the uh, colt to a door. And you think of how in the Bible the uh, very creation of the world is given just in a few words, but it comes to tell us something about the details of what happened on that day, about the waving of the palm branches, about the strawing of the clothes or the cloaks in the way. And all of these things indicate that there's something that the Holy Spirit of God wants us to see. And so what I want to do today is spend time, and we want to see some of these things. We want to behold the Lamb of God. We want to see the one who comes to be our Redeemer and our Savior. So we're just going to pick out some parts of this portion of Scripture. And first of all, then, I want you to see the cult. If you look at verse 2 of Matthew chapter 21, we read, Go into the village that is over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her, loose them, 
and bring them unto me. The Lord had been in Bethany. He speaks about the village over against him. Uh, and that obviously is Bethphage because Bethphage was just a little bit closer in uh, to Jerusalem. And we read that the uh, disciples go and they're told what they're to say to the person that comes. The Lord knows that there's going to be somebody that will challenge them. And they're to say the Lord hath need of them and straightway he will send them. So in the Lord's omniscience, he knew what was going to take place, and he tells them the words to say. And in Matthew, or Mark 11, verse 2, and in Mark, or in Luke 19, verse 38, we have the record that nobody had ever sat upon this colt. No human had ever written this colt of an ass. And the Lord wisely tells the disciples to bring uh, the colt and its mother because if the mother is there, that would have been a calming influence upon the young colt. But we think about how we're told that they are tied to a door. And we said in the prayer meeting a few weeks ago that there was a reason for that. And the uh, people in that day would have known that once again there's a fulfillment of prophecy. We read how that Jacob had prophesied to his sons, and particularly in Genesis 49, he had spoken to his son Judah. And he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Now where it speaks about the lawgiver not departing from Judah. That's a messianic prophecy. That speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was of the tribe of Judah. He is the lawgiver who will not depart. He is the everlasting king. But you'll notice that when he comes, he will be associated with the foal, binding the foal. The foal who is tied. And in the case of the one that is in Bethphage, He's tied to a door. But in the prophecy, you will see that he is bound to a choice vine. Now, there's a difference there. Now, what, why the difference? Well, you will find that the choice vine there is actually a reference to a, a, a special kind of vine. Literally, the, the vine of Sorek. And the vine of Sorek was a very purple grape, a very red grape. It made a very red wine. And you think of how the vine is often spoken of as God's people. You remember how the Lord Jesus in John chapter 15 said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He says, I'm the vine. And you are the branches, you are the, the, uh, you are the grapes, as it were, that come from the vine. And he speaks about his relationship, he speaks uh, in Isaiah 5, he speaks about Israel as being uh, built in a very choice vineyard. So always down through the years, this relationship between God and his people has been a picture of the vine and the branches. And here he says that 
the uh, colt here that, that is going to be bound to a choice vine, a very red grape. Now, you can see the picture that's been drawn here. This is a picture of his sacrifice. When he comes, the Lord Jesus, he'll come riding upon a colt, but he's bound to a choice vine, which speaks of a very red grape. Very, just soon after this, he speaks, or he takes the cup, and he says, this is my blood. So you can see the picture that has been drawn. Here is the Lord Jesus coming. He's coming riding upon a colt. But there's association with the vine, which speaks about his blood, and speaks about the sacrifice that he has made there, on, or would make there, on the center cross of Calvary. And dear friend, we think of the Savior coming, but he comes to die. He comes to shed his blood. We are washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. We stand because of the precious blood that was shed there on the center cross of Calvary. And we think here of the sacrifice. But not only is there reference to the sacrifice, but coming there upon the colt is a reference to his sovereignty. He comes as king. In those days, we remember how in the Middle Eastern world, it mentions in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, Solomon riding upon a donkey in his day. Or we read in Judges 5 about the judges uh, riding upon donkeys. Or in 2 Samuel 16 and verse 2, there's a reference also to the king riding upon a donkey. So as he enters in, the uh, children of Israel would have not lost the reference that was being made uh, we read in Luke chapter 19, verses 31 to 34, uh, it says, And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? This is the coat. Thus shall ye say, because the Lord hath need of him. Now, he refers to himself as Lord there. And there is there are many references to Lord in many ways that the word Lord could be taken. But in the way that he uses it, he is referring to himself as the master and as the king. He's the king. And we uh, think of how he makes reference to the words in Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm. Later on, down in the passage, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And the Pharisees knew what he was referring to. He was referring to the, uh, the title of Lord there as the Messiah, as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And he comes and he demands that we make him as king. He is our king. He is our Lord. And I hope that he is your Lord today, that he is your king as he comes Riding upon the colt of an ass, are you obedient to his laws? Are you obedient to his voice? Are you seeking to do what he tells you to do? You think of Mary at the Cana of Galilee wedding where she said, Whatsoever he saith unto thee, do it. Do it. And that's how we are to uh, be his people today. There is a reference then to his sacrifice, and to his sovereignty, to his kingship. But there's also a reference to peace. 
He comes as a peace giver here. He doesn't come riding upon a war horse, but he comes upon a donkey. Donkeys were ridden by kings in times of peace. In times of war, they would go out upon the war horse. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, it fits the description of the one who is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass. And we think of how the passage in Zechariah 9 highlights this peace. He says, And he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even unto the ends of the earth. And there's the great prediction of Zechariah. You remember when the Lord was born, the angels uh, said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. And he comes to bring peace. He comes to bring peace to men and to women. He brings peace. He will bring peace upon the earth when he comes again. He will bring peace. But my, he brings that peace of God that passeth all understanding. My, he brings peace to the soul. And maybe, dear friend, you're in turmoil today. Maybe your world is upside down. You don't know what to do or where to go. Maybe you've had bad news and difficulties have entered in. Thank God there's peace. Oh, the peace my Savior brings. Peace I never knew before, for my way has brighter grown since I learned to trust him more. He brings peace. And then he rides upon the foal of an ass. It speaks of identification. He comes lowly. He comes to be with us on the foal of an ass, that little donkey, little young donkey, the people could reach out and touch him. He was just at their level. He was riding upon a donkey. But if you're on a small donkey, it doesn't lift you anywhere above the crowd. You're at the same level as those that are round about you. And here he was, and he comes to identify with us. He comes to take our sins and our sorrows and to make them his very own and to bear that burden to Calvary, and to suffer and die alone. We see the colt. But then I want to focus upon the crowd. We, we read in John 12, verses 17 and 18, the people therefore that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of the grave, and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for they had heard that he had done this miracle. And in uh, Matthew 21, verse 9, you'll notice that there's mention of multitudes that come. It says, the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, Jerusalem was at the Passover season here. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, said, uh, he is prone to exaggeration, but he said, that he reckoned that at that time there were three million people in Jerusalem. Now, certainly the temple uh, area would accommodate 300,000 or 400,000 people. So there was probably at least that number in Jerusalem at the time. And we think of how the Lord was always around the crowds. There were a crowd at the feeding of the 5,000. There was the crowd at the Sermon on the Mount, we think of how he fed um, many on different occasions and how the press came 
and crowded around him. And we want to think about the crowd here for a few moments. There is power in a crowd. You think of this crowd and it's singing Hosanna. They are glorifying the Lord. And many are caught up in the crowd. And they shout and they cry, save us. The next uh, week or a few days later, the same crowd, or many in the same crowd, are crying, crucify him, crucify him. And my, what power there is in a crowd. And we can be caught up in the crowd of this day and generation. But I want you to notice that when it speaks here, it says that the multitudes, plural, it speaks about crowds, plural, not just one multitude, but multitudes. And it seems to indicate that there were different crowds or different multitudes within the great gathering that there was. And we think about at least five different types of people, five different crowds that were there with the Lord Jesus that day. The first crowd was the committed. The first crowd were his followers, his closest companions. And we think of how they were with the Lord that day. And they understood the Lord's uh, mission, that he had come to uh, be uh, one who would uh, bring a lost and dying world new life. They maybe didn't understand fully, but in, in some degree and measure, they understood what the Lord Jesus Christ had done, uh, come to do. But here were they committed. Now, they weren't perfect in any ways. They weren't a perfect people. They were people with flaws and weaknesses, but they were the committed followers. They had come to, with an attitude of gratitude and an attitude of praise and awe and service, and they had come now with the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were the committed followers of the Lord Jesus they had seen his miracles. They had heard what he had come to say. And they, these people are ready to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. They're ready to risk all for the Savior. And the Lord Jesus takes the reins of their lives. And they are committed to the Lord. Now I wonder today, are you committed? Are you a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonathan Edwards, the great American preacher, said this, only if our highest love is God himself can we love and serve all people, families, classes, races, and only God's saving grace can bring us to the place where we are loving and serving God for himself alone and not for what he can give us. And these were people who were committed they weren't serving for what they could get out of it. They were serving because they loved the Lord. And I hope that we love them. I hope that we're in that crowd today. But not only were they committed, but there's another crowd, and they are the confused. Look at Matthew chapter 21, and look at verse 10. And it says there, And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Who is this? And there they are, and they're in the crowd, and they're listening to the Hosannas, and they see the Lord coming, riding upon the colt of an ass. He wasn't on a great white stallion. He's just there in humility, and they're saying, Who is this? We don't know who this is. They're confused. They don't recognize the Savior. 
They don't recognize who he truly is. They don't recognize his mission. They don't realize that he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. They don't recognize that he's going to the cross. They don't recognize that he's come to do good. And they're confused. And you know, there are many people who are confused. When it comes to seeing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, they say, who is this? Who is this? Who is this one that has come? And maybe today you're confused. Confused about who the Lord Jesus Christ is exactly is. Maybe you have your own notions about who the Lord is, and you've got a a, a Lord who you've been making in your own image, and that's what the confusion was about here, because these people had a misconception about who the Messiah was. They didn't expect him to come lowly, and so they're confused. They have their own notions, and we can get our own notions about religion, about the Bible, about who God is, and we can be confused Maybe I'm speaking to somebody today and you're confused about the Lord Jesus Christ. The next group or crowd in the multitude is the stubborn, the religious skeptics. Turn over to the Gospel of John and to the account there. And if you look at John uh, chapter 12 and if you look at verse 37, we read about these stubborn or skeptics. He says there in verse 37, uh, and this is in the context of what has taken place here. He says there, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. So here were those in the triumphal entry, and they had come, and they probably were shouting, Hosanna, and they were shouting, praise him. But while they had seen the mighty miracles and he had just raised Lazarus from the dead and there were so many that were there because they had heard that Lazarus had been raised from the dead but they will not believe. They will not believe. They have an attitude of skepticism. They saw all the things that indicated the reality of the Savior and indicated the reality of what he had said that he was but they said, we, we won't believe. We don't believe that. And they won't surrender control of their lives. They won't con- surrender themselves. Some people are like that that come to church. And maybe while you are come to the place where the word of God is preached, you still have not believed. You have not believed. You have seen the transformation of other people. You've seen what the Lord can do. And you're like the people in the church at Laodicea who were pretenders. They had a name to live, but they were dead. They were lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. And there they were, and they did not believe. Even though they saw so much, they didn't believe. Then there's another crowd here. That's the curious. Look at John chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead bare record. For this cause, the people also met him, for they had heard that he had done this miracle. These are the people who are looking for a circus, a magic show. These are the people who are looking for wonders, looking for 
things that are going to tickle their fancy, maybe the paranormal, the emotional experience. Oh, looking for experiences, looking for the best show, looking for something to happen, something of a novelty. Oh, or just living on fizzy drinks. You know, you get people like that who will go where the best show is, not content to sit under the regular preaching of the Word of God, not content to sit uh, just in the uh, ordinary opening up of the Word of God, but let's go where the best show is. Let's go where the fizzy drinks are the fizziest. And here were the people who were curious in the crowd. I hope that you're not like that. And then the other ones are the opposers. Luke 19, verse 39, it says, When some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And then we're told in John 12 and 19, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. And here's people who are opposed to the message. These are the religious people. And they are filled with hatred, filled with distrust. They lie, they manipulate, they set traps, they refuse to see, refuse to listen. Um, the Lord said in Matthew 12 and 30, He that is not with me is against me. Men, women, are we against him? Are we his friend? The Lord said, Ye are my friends. If ye do whatsoever I have commanded you. Oh, what part of the crowd are you that greeted the Lord Jesus Christ that day? One more thing, and my time is gone, so I'm going to have to be very brief, and that's the cry. Luke 19 and verses 37 and 38, it says, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, uh, uh, for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Uh, verse 9 of the portion that we read, Matthew 21, says, And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And of course, that's a cry of hope. The word Hosanna there is an exclamation derived from Psalm 118, verse 25. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. And it is the Hebrew, Hosanna. And he's, he's crying to God because God is his hope. God is able to deliver. You think of the Jews here and they're looking for their Messiah. Their hope is in their Messiah. And they're looking for deliverance. They're looking for blessing. And they identify the one that can give them the deliverance and blessing, and it's the Lord. And he was able to give them deliverance and blessing, maybe not just in the way that they thought. But my hope is in the Lord today. He's my hope. He's the one who is able to give me the hope. He is able. We look to him. We look above the things of sense and time, and we turn our eyes upon Jesus. He's our hope. It's not only a cry of hope, it's a cry of happiness. Now, in the ordinary, 
the cry Hosanna was really a cry of desperation. There wasn't much happiness in it. But here, in the context, it's a cry of happiness. Here is our deliverer. Oh, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. And then it was a cry of homage, because really they were greeting him as king. They were really shouting, and C.H. Spurgeon uh, said, Hosanna is tantamount to all these, and he speaks about, like, God save the king, and he gives uh, different cries of different nations, and he says, Hosanna is tantamount to all these. It's a shout of homage, welcome, and loyalty. It wishes wealth, health, and honor to the king. In the Saxon, he said, we say hurrah. In Hebrew, Hosanna. That mighty shout startled all the streets of the old city. Hosanna, Hosanna, the king is come. And we come today to do homage to our king. We bow down in worship before him. I hope that you do. I hope that you've come today to praise your king, to thank him for the fact that he died on the cross in your stead, to thank him for the many blessings that he bestows upon you, and that he's given you eternal life, and you'll never perish, neither shall any man pluck him out of your out, out of pluck you out of his hand. And dear friend, we bow the knee before him today, and we cry. Hosanna, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And may we with a full heart today praise our God with mighty Hosannas. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God, our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee today that we can come to thee with Hosannas. We can come to thee to praise thy name. We pray that thy blessing would be upon us and that thou wouldst draw near and meet us at the point of our need. We thank thee for God's mercies to our souls. And we just ask thee that thou wouldst remember us for good. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Can we um, sing... The uh, last hymn there, 394, is it? The hymn 394, we'll sing a few verses. Oh, Christ, is that the right one? 394? Yeah. Oh, Christ in thee my soul hath found, and found in thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown. We'll sing the first two verses of the hymn, and we'll stand as we sing.
loving God and our gracious Father, we pray that indeed we may find our lasting joy in Thee. Bless us now and take us to our homes in safety and watch over us throughout this day. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.